candidates work with their instructional coach, who is the expert in the EL field, um, and they guide them throughout the year to um, work towards completing required learning experiences and assessments and demonstrating competencies across the TESOL standards. But in addition to that, there is a series of practicum requirements that teachers have to do within their classrooms and outside of their classrooms. So for example, they have to go and observe ESL certified teachers um, working with students outside of their grade level or in another context. And teachers also go and observe ELs at other grade levels so that they have that understanding of what ESL or, or teaching English learners looks like not only within their classroom, but in other contexts as well. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sofronis. How might we design professional learning opportunities that provide both a quality, personalized learning pathway and a path to licensure to work with English language learners? What are some of the advantages of utilizing blended and personalized learning strategies to bring diverse cohorts of educators together around ELL instruction? How can partnerships forged between school districts and local universities help move the needle on professional learning that will ultimately benefit the students we serve? We discuss these questions and much more with Christina Soprano. Christina is the director of the ESL Teacher Certification Program at Roger Williams University, University College in Providence, Rhode Island. Before joining University College at Roger Williams, Christina served as an ELL coordinator for a charter school in Massachusetts and also taught English learners at the elementary, middle, and high school levels in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Christina has also enjoyed supporting other educators with developing their knowledge and skills around English learner education. She is an advocate for linguistically responsive and collaborative teaching models that embrace the assets that all learners bring to school. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get started. Hello, Christina. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, same. That's my pleasure. Um, we've been talking uh, quite a bit over the last couple months, and I've worked closely with with Providence Schools here at Elevation, so really excited we finally get a chance to talk about what you're doing um, at Roger Williams in Providence. So let's let's start there. Can you tell us how the, the partnership between Roger Williams University and Providence Schools began? What was the, the problem you were trying to solve? Sure. So... In the city of Providence, as well as in the state of Rhode Island, um, the number of English learners in our classrooms is steadily increasing, just as we're seeing in many places across the country. And so while we're seeing this increase in our classrooms, we're not really seeing the same trend with the number of ESL certified teachers in our state and within the city of Providence. So the Providence Public School District sought to find an innovative way to help address this growing need and they wanted to partner with a university that was flexible and forward-thinking and they knew that at roger williams at the university college that we partner with a lot of local organizations 
and that we've also worked with Providence and other school districts on other initiatives. So they reached out to us to see if there was a way we could collaborate to help support the English learners in their schools and develop um, the teacher's skill sets as well so that they can service them appropriately. That's great. So it sounds pretty simple. Um, literally, Providence School District reached out to you, and, and that's how this whole thing began. You said that they had some other programs that were happening with Roger Williams before that? Yes, um, and I can't really speak to them, but I know that they're, they have been partnered in uh, many other um, initiatives in the past, and so they returned to Roger Williams because they had that relationship established already. Yeah, I think that's great. What a great partnership. And and I, I feel like you know, you're, you're lucky or Providence is lucky to have you close by um, and vice versa. I think that both organizations can learn a lot from one another. And it, it's, it's funny, it, it doesn't seem to happen um, as frequently as it could. So I appreciate you kind of bringing it down to its simplest, simplest kind of nature where one district has a need and they reach out to a university nearby. So in terms of designing the program, um, I know that you had to, or you wanted to, for good reason, um, design the program to align with WIDA and TESOL standards. I'm curious, how did you bring together the Roger Williams University staff, Providence educators, and state officials, and whatever other stakeholders to work together around those? Because that's kind of a big, I imagine that's got to be a big design challenge to, to work within those standards. Yes, it was for sure. And it was a very comprehensive process. And it really started with meeting and discussing the, the need at hand and then taking incremental steps to planning, setting up work plans to decide who was going to do what. And it was a just an ongoing process of meeting, planning, reviewing, and meeting, planning, reviewing again, getting feedback from the Department of Education. And this process happened over many months. Um, and we continue to work with the district, work with um, people within Roger Williams and submit application to the Department of Education until the program met the, the, the standards, met the TESOL standards and the Rhode Island um, Department of Education teacher preparation standards, and also met Providence Public School District's expectations. Yeah, a lot of stakeholders there. So it sounds like it was a pretty iterative process um, mm -hmm. where you brought something forward, got some feedback. Um, and then just kind of kept going that way. And I imagine now, and I, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, you're still probably, and we'll get into this later, but I'm sure you're still iterating as you see kind of how it's all working out. Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we have meetings scheduled with the partner districts and we're consistently communicating with them and with our teachers and with the coaches in our program to make sure that, that we're meeting the needs of everybody at the table. And we're also still in communication with the Department of Education and making sure that those lines of communication stay open so that we're constantly um, looking for ways to um, improve the program and best serve the teachers and their students. Yeah, and I'm sure through those meetings, everybody kind of has visibility into all the stakeholders and the work they're doing, which I think is also um, really valuable. So the first time I heard about the program was when I read an article that it had been approved. This was back in January. Um, and I think, you, you know, it, it launched this spring. Um, what, you, you got into this a little bit, but what, aside from meeting with, with groups and lining them up to the standards, um, basically having lots of meetings and iterating, um, what did you do to prepare between then when it was approved and the day that, or the time that it was launched this spring? Well, a lot. So, well, first of all, we had lots of info sessions within the district. We wanted to get the word out to teachers to help them understand what the program is all about 
and how they would participate in it. Um, we, the district itself sent out notices to district leaders, principals, teachers. Um, there were lots of emails sent out and invitations to info sessions. And we also worked during this time to recruit our learning guides. So we had teacher, we had um, info sessions within the district to discuss what the role of a learning guide would be. And we also um, posted positions and held interviews for those as well. And the learning guides are the instructional coaches that work for our program. And they work hand in hand with the, with the ESL teacher candidates and they help guide them throughout the year so that they can, the teachers can demonstrate proficiency across the TESOL standards. Yeah, let's dive into that um, that learning guide piece a little mm -hmm. bit more because I think that, that that fits into what we talk about quite frequently here in Highest Aspirations, which is um, we just had an episode released recently about ELL teachers as as leaders. Mm -hmm. um, what what did you find uh, that these or what are you finding? I guess that these learning guides are taking out of this. I mean, I know as a teacher myself, um, I taught for seventeen years, a Spanish teacher in Massachusetts. And it was always something, it was always kind of hard for me to take that next step and do something new unless I kind of wanted to be an administrator. Mm -hmm. Did you find or are you finding that these learning guides are kind of finding a new pathway through this work? So we've received some pretty um, great feedback from our learning guides because our learning guides are um, have, a, have a range of roles within the districts that they work in. So we have learning guides who are ESL teachers. We have some that are ESL coaches. We also have administrators who are working as learning guides. So they're coming in from lots of different entry points. And I think what they're taking away from the program depends on sort of what their role is and how they're working with teachers. But what I've heard so far from many of them is that this um, opportunity has helped them to really dive deep into what it means to be a teacher of English learners and, and think about how they can not only just advocate for their students, but advocate for the teachers of English learners and, and, and support them in, in, in supporting students. And um, what I've also learned from speaking and working with our learning guides is that they, they love the opportunity to come together and talk about advocacy for ELLs and working with teachers to build cultural competence and skills associated with understanding how ELLs access curriculum throughout um, the content standards. And, it's great when we can all come together and have these conversations as sort of like leaders within this community because it's it, it's empowering and and the learning guides sort of take the the knowledge that they're learning from one another and can go back and transfer that into the field when they work with their with their candidates. Yeah, I love it. It sounds like quite a collaborative process and and like I said, having worked pretty closely with Providence through Elevation. Um, I know that you have some, as, as do most districts, you have some really great leaders there. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like the expertise in the, in the field of, of ELs is, um, is just so kind of niche and so nuanced and so important as this mm -hmm. demographic grows. And, and oftentimes um, it's just hard to leverage it for a variety of reasons. So I feel like that's a, a big plus for everybody involved um, in the district. And, and speaking of Providence, I know that, that you started there, but uh, Pawtucket, which is right outside of Providence, um, also became involved. So curious as to how that came about and if you have plans to work with other districts um, in the area in the future. Yeah, so, uh, well, yes, we, we definitely have plans to work with other districts and I can talk about that um, in a little bit. But in Pawtucket, um, they, also, they also have a significant need to service ELLs. And 
So they last spring they approached the university as well. And because the program had already been established and we were getting ready to um, start our inaugural year, we had a lot of work already done. And so we worked with Pawtucket and with the Rhode Island Department of Education to complete another program application process. And um, we submitted that and it was approved so that they were able to um, allow teachers within Pawtucket to uh, apply to the program for this year. So we have a small number of Pawtucket teachers this year and we're um, looking to definitely expand that for next year because the application window for them was a little bit shorter because they came on a little bit later during the application process. But what we're doing right now is we're, we're planning ways to work with um, other districts and the Department of Education to allow more partners to join on with the university so that other teachers may apply. And that would really consist of going through another program application process with the Department of Education so that we could have other districts approved to work with us. That's great. And so I know that that right now you're you're only taking um, educators from partnering districts. I'm sure there's there's probably a lot of good reasons for that to happen, but in the future mm -hmm. you're hoping to to gain some more um, districts. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. And so I mean the reason why we have to partner with another we have to partner with the districts is because in, in Rhode Island the ESL certification is an add-on certification and teachers need a, a base cert. Um, in order to uh, um, obtain the, the new ESL certification in addition to their, what, what their base certification is. Um, and so there's that component. But then there's also um, the nature of our program that teachers need to be working in a classroom with ELLS. And our program is very job embedded. So for example, they, they um, record a series of videos that demonstrate particular competencies that they're meeting across the TESOL standards as one component of the program and you know their overall goal is to demonstrate competency by showing what they're doing in their classroom and all the assignments are designed to do this and they're they're really designed to be meaningful classroom experiences for teachers to show how they're applying what they're learning to support ELLs and so because our competency-based program is so job embedded that partnership with the district is so important so that the teachers also have that support from them as well. Yeah, great. So that, that totally makes sense. That partnership's key and, and important. Um, and I'm glad you just sort of got into that competency-based piece because I, I want to talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. um, as well. And this is uh, certainly a whole other episode and a whole other podcast <laughs> series, Competency sure. Blended Learning. Um, I'm lucky enough to be on, the, on a teaching team at a course at Harvard Graduate School of Education called Digital, um, digital Teaching uh, or Connected Teaching in the Digital Age. And we talk a lot about this. And it's really hard to kind of find a definition of what competency-based or, or blended learning is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to challenge you with that, but I am going to challenge you to tell us you talked about the videos and the competencies what is what is the what is a competency-based blended program look like in this model as teachers go through it sure so like you sort of expressed already it is very different from what many teachers are are used to or would expect in a teacher preparation program and so our program is a year long. It's very intensive, it's rigorous. And like I was saying, the goal is that they demonstrate these competencies, the sub-competencies of the TESOL standards throughout that year. And that happens through series of online, face-to-face -face experiences and individual learning experiences. And so each teacher is assigned their own instructional coach 
and the instructional coaches have um, a couple candidates that they work with and so that group is made up that group makes up their community of reflective practice so what we're calling their core um, and so the candidates work with their instructional coach who is the expert in the EL field um, and they guide them throughout the year to um, work towards completing required learning experiences and assessments and demonstrating competencies across the TESOL standards. Um, but in addition to that, there is a series of practicum requirements that teachers have to do within their classrooms and outside of their classrooms. So for example, they have to go and observe ESL certified teachers um, working with students outside of their grade level or in another context. And teachers also go and observe ELLs um, at other grade levels so that they have that understanding of what ESL or, or teaching English learners looks like not only within their classroom, but in other contexts as well. We also have a requirement for teachers to engage in a few different school and family-based activities so that they work towards supporting English learner families and helping them become um, more um, involved within the school community or their classroom. Um, and so we have the learning guide, we have the community of reflective practice, we have this, this mix of online face-to-face -face and individual experiences, their practicum, there are required experiences and assessments that all the teachers must complete. But then at the same time, we have optional ways of demonstrating competency. So we have teachers that come into the program from all different entry points. We have some teachers who are you know, second year teachers. We have some teachers who actually have um, certification in ESL from other states and it doesn't transfer to Rhode Island. And right. So they're coming in to, uh, to complete an a Rhode Island approved preparation program so that they can have this, um, this additional credential here. And so we have teachers that have these range of, of experiences and so they have opportunities to um, submit evidence that shows ways that they're currently meeting particular standards depending on what they're doing in their classrooms. Um, and so it's definitely a flexible model and it's, it's designed to be very um, personalized and integrated into what teachers are already doing. Um, and so we have these required experiences, we have optional ways that teachers can supplement the required experiences, and we have additional opportunities for teachers to come together and collaborate. I hear a lot that you know teachers want more time working with their colleagues, working yeah, with people across grade levels, and so we're hosting ESL or, or English learner teacher socials at the university once a month, where our candidates can come together. There's no pressure, no stress. We have we have a focus that's something related to an effective or evidence-based practice for, for working with English learners, and we get to come around, discuss the problem of practice, plan, find ways to integrate new techniques into their classroom, and then they can go off and, and apply it to what they're doing um, the next day. So we're really trying to help teachers learn these techniques, learn these strategies, and, and, and apply them directly into their classrooms throughout the year. It's, it's the idea that they're learning and doing constantly, learning, doing, learning, doing. Sure, and I mean, I, you know, normally I would take a lot of time to kind of unpack everything that you just said, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I really don't, you did a really good job kind of, I think, explaining how this, um, what people perceive as a really kind of complicated beast, competency-based, blended, personalized, I think 
that through the, you know, you mentioned the, the core, the community reflective practice. I love that acronym, by the way. Um, people are able to reflect that online, correct? That's both online and face-to-face. So and online, face-to-face. yeah, online, they, they are actually communicating with the entire cohort of teachers in the program. And when they come face-to-face, they're working with their smaller community of reflective practice. That's great. So that's a, that's a, you know, a true blended approach and it's flexible. You mentioned that people are coming from, from, this was kind of, uh, you got to one of my other questions, which is what is the breakdown of, of the roles uh, and the people. And you mentioned people coming from different States to get Rhode Island certification. You're providing them personalized pathways. I think you mentioned as well that they have different ways where they can kind of prove their competencies. Mm-hmm. So this is really, I think a model of um, how we can use these kind of innovative uh, approaches to education, leverage technology um, uh, to um, professional development, and in this case, uh, recertification. So um, I'm glad you you went through that whole process, and I, I'm not going to add anything else because I think if people kind of missed anything, I would recommend you go back and listen to that again because that was a really great explanation, <laughs> oh, I think, you. of a how, a, how a true um, competency-based blended uh, personalized program um, would look like. I have, I have one sort of follow-up question. You mentioned that People are coming from a variety of different places. I'm curious about roles. Mm-hmm. Are they mostly ELL teachers? Are they content teachers? Are they administrators? I assume probably all of the above. So they have, yeah, they, it is all of the above. They have various roles within the, the districts that they're working in. And so the majority of our candidates are teachers. Um, some are teacher leaders. We have instructional coaches. We have infor- uh, former administrators who are returning teachers. Um, but they all come with a wealth of knowledge depending on whatever their areas of expertise are. And some of them actually have emergency certification in ESL and they're currently serving ELS and they're working, you know, they're in this program and they're working towards getting their, their full certification by the end of the program. Um, and so regardless of how many years experience that they have or, or what their specific content area is, they all have L's in their classroom or within their school that they interact with on a daily basis. Right. I think that's great. I think like particularly, you know, I mean, I hear like, I'll speak about some of our challenges. I mean, the big challenge, um, I think I would probably say in the kind of world of English language learner education, but we have a challenge reaching the classroom teachers, you know, mm-hmm. getting, uh, I taught high school for years. Um, and I think we still live in a world, I think that's changing, but I still think we live in a world in which at the high school level, people are still, teachers are still looking at themselves as kind of teachers of content. Um, and that, that seeping in, that idea that everybody is a teacher of language and that we have to kind of educate the whole mm-hmm. child. Uh, and I think we're seeing that change, um, but that's, that's a challenge, getting those classroom teachers um, to, to kind of make sure that they're um, up to speed. And that's a challenge, not, not just because of their motivation to do so, but because of time and everything else. Um, so it sounds like you're reaching some of those teachers as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in the very start of the program, we do a lot of work um, helping teachers think about what academic language is and and what that looks like within the context of their own classroom and their content area. We have about a third of our teachers who are um, high school teachers who specialize in a particular content area. That's great. And yeah. And so what's what's so great about um, our cohort is that we have such a wide range of teachers. And so not only can they collaborate with people who have similar content areas or similar grade levels, but they also get the perspective of people cross grade level or cross content area. And especially when we're talking about academic language, that's so helpful because people are able to hear about 
how something that they do in their classroom actually does have some sort of an application, maybe in a math classroom, maybe in a science classroom, or maybe, you know, five years down the road when they're in high school. And so having those rich discussions across um, grade levels and across content areas has proven to be really helpful for our teachers to really grasp what it means to um, be an educator for English learners. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. And I mean, I would add, you know, an educator for English language learners, but an educator in 2018, right? I mean, yeah, this, is, for sure. this is not something that you're generally going to be able to kind of um, run away from in most uh, in most communities. And, and you know, I'm sure you're bringing in a lot of the, we talked a lot, talk a lot about the asset-based nature that ELLs bring um, mm -hmm. to the table. And I feel like, uh, boy, once, once content teachers like the one-third of the, the cohort that you have now kind of learn about how they can best serve these students and they see some success, you know, that you start to look at these students as the wonderful assets that they are and, and you know, wonderful additions to the community. And, and then it just builds from there, it just kind of snowballs. And, uh, and that's, that's, I think, what we all, the world that we all want to see. Yeah, I agree 100%. And it's definitely exciting to see um, our teachers make those connections and really start to examine how they can create comprehensible and, 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 and language rich environments for their students, regardless of, of what their content area is. Great. So I, I'm going to ask you a question that um, that might be a little bit, I'm not going to call it a controversial question, but it will definitely, I think, maybe in some provoke a little bit of tension. And I, I'm going to ask it from my own perspective as a teacher. As I mentioned, I taught for a long time. Um, and a lot of the things that I did as a teacher for cert recertification, um, even one of the master's degrees that I got was definitely because I needed as an educator to check a box so I could continue doing what um, what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I found very few programs, unfortunately, um, with the exception of, of a few that really, really kind of stretched me and really, I could say, were wonderful learning experience experiences. This program um, that you're that you're talking about now, this partnership, really seems like one of those that is extremely helpful. I'm curious about what your observations have been around, like why teachers are signing up. Are they signing up to check a box or are they signing up because this is something they really need to do? And then the second part of the question is, how, how are they walking away from this experience? I think you've already alluded to some of this, but I wanted to kind of directly ask you that sort of difficult question. Sure. Um, so I feel like what I've observed is that teachers are coming to our program because it's different from what they may have experienced in other places or what they're what they would expect in other places. And so, you know, it's different from the course based certification model that many of us have experienced. And and that's beneficial to our teachers because they find it engaging. They're immediately using what they're learning and they're applying it to their practice. And their own professional development is meaningful to them, but it's also meaningful to their students because of this this model. And there's also more potential for integration of ideas. They're not ideas aren't separated into individual classes or courses. We have assignments that cross domains or cross um, standards and they're all woven into their practice. And so for some teachers, having this additional certification and skill set um, may also be a way for them to secure employment for them. Sure. However, all the teachers working in our schools uh, or working in our program are in schools where ELLs are in their classrooms mm -hmm. and they interact with them on a daily basis. And they've, the teachers have made it really clear that they want their students to be successful. The teachers want to be the best teachers they can be. They want the knowledge, the skills, understanding, 
to best support these students and be advocators for them and um, be advocates and facilitators and, and, and be the best educators that they can be. Right. And I mean, it sounds like it's a, a, a great marriage between what you just mentioned, which is, you know, teachers want to be the best teachers they can be. They want to have an impact on their students. But once they get into a program, they have a high expectation as well. They should that the program is going to offer that that sort of personalization and that pathway mm-hmm. that they need um, to be successful. And for the record, I think it's I think it's totally fine that teachers, um, you know, want to be marketable. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so it's but it sounds like you're um, you're sort of doing both of those things in the program, which is the way that, that I think that it should be. Yeah. It's, it's twofold for sure. It's, you know, there's, I agree with you and there's something wrong with teachers wanting to market themselves better and be able to find meaningful employment. But with that, there's also the need to want to be good at what you're doing and want to be able to support anybody that walks into your classroom. And this is one more step that teachers can take to be prepared to service the diverse needs of students that we have across the classrooms in our country. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just, just came to me now. I mean, I thinking that, um, you know, if, if you're better served to work with ELs in the vast majority of cases, good instruction for ELs is good instruction for all students. So I imagine this must help, you know, uh, in all facets of what they're doing. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about that within our cohort and that's something that some of our teachers have, have brought up. And in addition to that, I, I sort of like to challenge that idea and, and, and add to it and say that while good teaching for um, Alice is good teaching, uh, you know, in general, it's also teaching with a language lens and really understanding what, what types of language is, is, what type of language is being used when you're, when you're teaching your content and how everything you're doing is connected to language in some way. And it's, it's training your mind to look at instruction and assessment and interaction through this lens. And so when when we sort of talk about, you know, teaching for Els is teaching is good teaching in general, it's yes and it's it's teaching with a language lens. And that's a skill that that needs to be developed over time and it and it takes time for teachers to to see how that works within their classrooms. But then I think it's one of those situations where a light sort of flicks on and you're like, oh, okay, that's what it is. And and the more time teachers have to process these theories and research and apply it to their classrooms, the better they understand how, how this works for their students. Yeah, very well put. Very well put. Um, so this might be the most important question for the person sitting and sort of listening to this episode and thinking, wow, this is great that Providence and Pawtucket have this with Roger Williams University right in their backyard. I wish I had something like this, you know, how do I find something like this? Mm -hmm. The first question I have in regards to that sort of sentiment is, um, what have you learned from this experience so far that might help others who are interested in participating or designing this kind of program? Because I want to go back to the beginning. It seems like this all started because there was a challenge Mm -hmm. and somebody somebody at a school district, Providence in this case, asked for something from a university. Yeah, well, I would say that one of the, the big things that I've learned is that, and, and, it's, and it's more than just learned, it's something that it's helped me recognize across the field is that change or innovation can really be disruptive in a lot of ways. And that's not a bad thing. So like we see this in our K-12 classrooms every day with blended and personalized learning movement and in other industries across the world where new ideas, something new comes along the way and it challenges the way that something has already been done for a long time. And that's met with a lot of questions, um, but it's also a great opportunity for rich discussions about how we learn and why we learn 
And so now through this competency-based model, um, teachers are learning in a way that they're asking their students to learn. And so through competency-based blended learning, some teachers are pretty familiar with it from the instructor perspective, but they're not so familiar with it from the student perspective. And so now they're getting that experience for themselves. That's so important. Um, and yeah, and so so with this idea, it's like keeping an open mind and being flexible and being okay with feeling vulnerable about you know what your what your strengths are, but then also what your areas for growth are is really important in this whole process. And that's how we see some some real growth. And so I would say that that's definitely um, some one of the big takeaways that I've had just through working with the program so far in its inaugural year. Um, but then and also, um, because we're, we're, we're servicing teachers and we're in education, I really feel that our programs cannot um, remain static. Like teach, programs that serve that service teachers can't remain static, just like curriculum for students can't remain static. So mm-hmm. within our program, we're, we're constantly adding to our LMS, our, our learning management system. We're, we're working hard to stay up to date and on the cutting edge with research and resources that are in the field. Um, and because we really want to stay relevant and we need to stay relevant within the local and the national context for teaching and, and learning for English learners. Absolutely. Great. Well, I think, I think that's crucial key. And you, you mentioned, you know, the disruptive nature of change, um, you know, that, that's, that's so key and it's hard to kind of embrace it when you're in the middle of it and recognize that this might be a good thing, but just, just embracing that change. And, and I think you also mentioned understanding your strengths, but also understanding your weaknesses and mm-hmm. moving forward that way. So um, as we wrap up, just a couple more questions, one of which is one that I ask everybody who comes on to highest aspirations and uh, it has become um, I have a library because of it, which is, which is great. And the question is, um, is there a book or, or any other resource that's influenced you either personally or professionally um, that you would like to share? Sure. There's, there's so many. Um, that's the problem. So, <laughs> I know, right. How do you pick one? Um, can I name a couple? You can. All right. So I would say that for content, for English learner education content-wise, uh, Margot Gottlieb is one of my favorite researchers and authors in the field, and she has a newer text that is called Assessing English Language Learners, Bridges to Educational Equity. And I, I love this book because, well, first of all, all of her resources to me are very practice-based, and they really help teachers frame their, think- their thinking in ways that they can immediately apply techniques to their classroom. Um, but this particular text, she, she addresses assessment from a completely different perspective from what many people might consider assessment to be. And so she looks at assessment through the lens of assessment as, assessment for, and assessment of learning. And so she, she shows ways that you can use this lens to inform planning, instruction, assessment for ELDs. And she really talks about this paradigm shift of how uh, most envision educational assessment, and she challenges people to embrace multiple stakeholders um, through promoting student agency and teachers using formative assessment, but then also state and districts looking at more high-stakes assessment. And And she, she addresses these complicated ideas in a way that's so practical for teachers to use. There's lots of resources and suggestions um, that you can immediately take to your classroom. And so I, I really love that book. Um, I would also say that from like the program standpoint, another resource that I love is competencyworks.org. 
um, and that's a website that is dedicated to providing resources for K through 12 education, but also higher education for competency-based education. And their, their, their mission is sort of to begin to help the sectors sort of learn from each other and um, align competency-based education systems across K-12, higher ed, and also the workplace. So that's, all, that's another go-to resource to learn more about competency-based education. And then another component, because our, because our program um, also incorporates our learning guides, our instructional coaches, we also are you know, consistently, constantly looking for ways to help them in their professional development as well. And so the new teacher center actually has um, their own instructional coaching program and practice standards, and you can get those on their website. Um, and that is a great resource because they, those standards are there to support effective coaching and support leadership um, with the goal of supporting equitable experiences for teachers and students. And so we're using those standards to help guide workshops and conversations with our coaches and also for our coaches to um, use them for self-reflection and planning purposes. So if, so I, I sort of have like the content, the, the competency-based, and also our, our coaching resources um, sort of in the, in the back of my mind as, as things that I can go to for, for guidance and support and sharing with people in our program. Yeah, and it strikes me that those resources very much mirror um, the approach that you have, and it seems like they're balanced. You know, you need uh, you need components of all of them um, to make it happen. So, we'll, yeah. as always, we'll post those um, those resources on our website with links so people can find them. Awesome. And then the last thing, um, because I'm sure people are curious to find out more about what you all are doing, especially after this conversation, you provide us with a lot of information. How can people find more about this program? What are some resources that they can look at? So I think the best place to go first would be to our website. And um, you can go to our website by going to scs.rwu.edu slash ESL. And that'll bring you to our website. You'll see a, a description of the program. And you can also find my contact information there. And if you want to connect with me directly, um, there's my email, my, my, my phone number, and I'd be happy to provide more information to anybody that um, is looking for it. Great. And if you're in the area uh, from Providence or Pawtucket to the surrounding area, maybe you could be a part of this at some point. And that being said, I hope that programs like this um, continue to pop up around the country because I think you're onto something. Um, I think you've, you've cracked the code not only on how we collaborate with one another, but how we actually set up these programs in a way that they are um, useful and efficient and challenging for teachers that are coming from a wide variety of backgrounds who are working with students who are also coming from a wide variety of backgrounds. So thank you so much for joining us and providing this context. We really, um, really appreciate you, uh, you taking the time. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and I'm, and I'm excited to have this opportunity to talk to you and to share the, the great work that everybody's doing with our program. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. 
where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.